0: Philippians chapter one, uh, we'll be in verses nine through eleven this morning as we continue our way through the book of joy, the book of Philippians. Our title of the sermon this morning is called "Gospel Centered Prayer." Gospel Centered Prayer. And you know, it's that time of year, isn't it? We're vacations. We're on the unofficial start of summer. Many people will be gone, and if you're going to be gone this summer, if you ever need to pick up a sermon, if you want to hear what we are preaching about, you can do that online. TowerViewKC.com. Uh, we don't say that enough, but we have a lot of resources on our website. But a lot of you will be traveling over the next uh, coming weeks. And I just want you to imagine for a second that if you were traveling, let's just say you were planning a vacation, your dream family vacation, for four years. And for four years, that's all you could think about, your family on this great vacation. Maybe it's Disneyland or, or uh, maybe it's the Ozarks. That's a beautiful area. Some of you love Branson, I know. Uh, And that's a good place to go. But just imagine you were spending all your time thinking, and you're walking out the door, and one of your kids falls and trips and knocks his head, and he falls unconscious. Now, in that moment, you're getting ready to go to your vacation. The last thing you would say, I would hope that you wouldn't say, is, Man, what about our vacation? I can't believe it's going to happen. I hope you would be saying in that moment that you would be saying, My child, my child, what is happening? Now, what if someone walked up to you and said, well, you know, Darren, I have the best tickets to the restaurant in town. It's called Jack Stack Barbecue. And if you like barbecue, this is the place where you need to go. And if you look at me and I'm my child, and I just look at you and say, eat, are you serious? My child is unconscious. Can you imagine what? Eat. What are you thinking? Are you a barbarian? What is wrong with you? My child, eat. What is that all about? You know, as much as we think about vacations and things, when life happens, when something drastic happens, it really changes everything, doesn't it? And when it comes to prayer, and it comes to what God has told us about prayer, that's how we should be feeling about prayer. Prayer is something that we should be so passionate about that no matter what else is going on around us, we say, But my God is here. I need to fellowship with him. Prayer is something that we're passionate about God and the advancement of his kingdom. And the needs of believers and praying for those people far, far away who are unreached. It's almost like if someone were to come to you, if you're into prayer, you just say, no, are you crazy? I'm talking to the God of the universe. So much that until your prayers are settled, many of you will stay before God and pray and cry out to him. No matter the hour or the day, because there's a real need before you. Isn't this what Jesus taught us in Luke 18.1? Jesus said this to say, or actually Luke commentating about Jesus said this. He said, Jesus told them, or he told them a parable to the effect that they should ought always to pray and not lose heart. You know, many of you have been praying for things in your life for many, many years. Some of you for weeks, some of you for years. But prayer is a constant and consistent thing in the life of a Christian. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, said it this way. A prayerless Christian is a Christless Christian. Ooh, that'll preach, won't it? A prayerless Christian is a Christless Christian. In other words, if you are a Christian, as much as we look forward to vacation and things of this world and praise God for those things, our daily routine should be focused on the rifle shot of knowing God intimately through prayer. Prayer is like a child asking her dad to tie her shoes. And the dad not only ties her shoes... But, but basically zips up her jacket and gives her a hug. Prayer is an intimate time with the holy God. Prayer isn't just a last resort, it's our anchor. But even when we treat it as our last, doesn't God still answer our prayer in our folly? Have you ever noticed that? Even when we pray amiss, doesn't God somehow bring us back to the focus of the gospel? And know this, prayer doesn't change God. Sometimes you'll see on Facebook, if I can just get a million people to pray for this, this will happen. We'll get a million people to pray, amen? But prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. Because if prayer changed God, I wouldn't pray. Because God knows the ends of my prayer as well as the means. But church, are we ready to pray? In America, it's the one thing that often goes out the window the quickest. But you want God to change things? Guess what happens? You pray. You want wisdom for life's decisions? You need a job? Pray. But you know what? The church is often flooded with things that we don't need. The church is often flooded with church growth strategies and how to reach people, and those aren't bad in and of themselves. But as a church that Paul's praying for the church at Philippi, what we have to have are three things. We have to have prayer, we have to have the word, and we have to have holiness. Folks, that is what makes up a gospel-centered church. You say, well, Darren, I've been praying for this guy for a long time, and God hasn't saved him. Keep praying. God, I want to see my church revive like the days of old. What do you do? You keep praying. God, I want to see the culture transformed. What do you do? You keep praying. God, I want our church to be a healthier church than it is now. And God, we're on a good foot, but we want to go deeper. What must you do? Pray. <clears throat> Look behind any great movement of God among history, whether it was the Puritans or, or the disciples or the Charles Spurgeon days. The one constant in all their lives were a healthy prayer life. Actually, Spurgeon used to say this this way. People would come to his church. He said, I want to show you the boiler room. He would take him down to the basement. And you say, the boiler room? What is? What, it's a big church. Why would he take him down there? He took him down there because every Sunday before church, there were hundreds of of people on their knees praying. And you know why he called it the boiler room? Not because it was the boiler room, because that's where the furnace of the ministry of their church started, was through prayer. So as we continue this journey through Philippians, what I want to give you are three things. Isn't that every Baptist pastor? Amen? It's three points. You all can say amen to that, right? (laughs) I was going to give you four, but you'd look at me funny, so let me give you three. So here you go. Gospel-centered prayer from Philippians 1, 9 through 11. We're going to see a loving discernment. We're going to see integrity Paul's praying for. And we're going to see fruitfulness. Some of you say, well, I don't know how to pray for other people. This might be the message for you. Some of you say, I I, I want to pray deeper in my prayers. I pray that this prayer study helps you do that. But before we get there, let's remind ourselves where we've been. Remember, Paul has started praying and, and asking God to do many things in this church But he's been writing to a church that he first planted. He's writing to a church 800 miles away. And one thing that he's good at is remembering his prayers. And Paul's been (laughs) praying for them very specific things. But two things are what he's aiming for. He's praying that they are shaped and they are driven by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how he called them saints and, and called them partners in the gospel. He said that those are the marks of someone who knows him. And the last couple weeks, we looked at the marks of a healthy church member. We've looked at a thankful heart, a joyful spirit, a gospel focus, a certain hope, and an affectionate love. And today, what Paul is going to do is he's going to teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. You have your Bible ready? You ready to stand up for the reading of God's word if you're able to? Let's do that this morning. You know, someone asked me, why do we stand for the reading of God's word? Well... If you look at Ezra, they stood the whole day and read the whole law. So we are only going to do two verses today. I hope you're happy about that. But if it's a good thing to stand in honor of God's word because it teaches us to stand before him as we ought to. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Paul writes this, reading from the ESV. And it is my prayer that your love abound more and more with all a real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Three things to pray for this church. Pray we have loving discernment, pray we have integrity, and pray that we have fruitfulness. That will change a church quickly right there, and that will change a person right there. Let's go for the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we are so grateful to be here today, Father, so grateful. Lord, we know that, uh, Father, it is always a privilege to come before you. Lord, we often pray, thank you for this day, but how, how much more should we thank you for an opportunity to congregate? Father, one day in your house is better than a thousand elsewhere, is what David prayed. Father, it's a great thing to come into the house of the Lord. Father, thank you for this this morning. As we study what prayer is, I pray it not only permeates our minds and hearts today, But it's a discipline that we take through our lives and our families, whether we're single, whether we're married, widowed, widower, whatever we are. I pray that you would help us to do it to your honor and to your glory. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So Paul starts out here with what you might call a priority of love, the priority of love. The scripture says here that he prays that their love may abound more and more. Basically, he's praying this for the Philippians. And love is so important to Paul that he knows that the greater love is to pray for greater love. To increase in love is to fall into the right place. Love, as you know, is the greatest of the commandments of God. The the scribes came up to Jesus and asked him, what is the greatest commandment? Do you remember what he said? He said it is to love who? The Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what was the second commandment? To love your neighbor as yourself. We often separate the heart, soul, mind, and strength as individual parts, but really it's a reality that one's whole being, one's whole person, everything you are, inside and out, should be focused on the love of God. And that's what Paul is praying here. Love is so important because it's the fulfillment of what God requires. Do you remember the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5? Paul said the fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first one? Love. Imagine that. It's on the first things. Love is at the heartbeat of biblical Christianity. And love comes from the Holy Spirit of God, and it's transferred to the believer. But others often speak of physical love or friendship love. But the word here is that famous word you've heard before. It's agape. It's the type of self-sacrificing love that can only come when someone is wired into what God is doing. It is a love that looks away from us, from self, to other people. It's a love that sacrifices for their highest good. Lust and passion sometimes takes from us and others, but love sacrifices for others. This is the type of love that Paul's praying for them that yields, that serves, that ministers, that lifts up, that prays and encourages others in the church. It's contained in this request that love is the fulfillment of the Christian life. But be careful, congregation. You can go the uh, very opposite liberal side of Christianity. About 10 years ago, and they may even still have these, they had booths set up around campuses and colleges where they were called apology booths, where anything a Christian would ever done, they'd have a minister in there, and you could come and say what the church has done wrong to you, and the minister would say, Well, I forgive you. I'm sorry we messed up that way. That is not what Paul is talking about here. What Paul is talking about is a love that specifically comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. But did you know he doesn't give... The object of the love. Sometimes you'll say, well, I love my wife, Natalie. Or I love my child, Simeon. Notice if you look at the verse, he doesn't give an object of the love. Why is that? Well, he leaves it up to us to fill in the blank. Love, first off, though, we know from Scripture goes to God. And then to others. So what is he specifically praying for? Let me give you three points. It's not on the screen, but let me give you three points. Love he's praying for here is an increase of their love for God, An increase of their love for God. He's praying, secondly, their love for Christ would grow. It says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that we may know him. Friends, do you pray for others in this church that you may know him together, Christ together, you with Christ together? And he prays also for their love for other believers. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 says this. Everyone should not look to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Megan's already put it up there, but one thing I want you to see is this. Is that love, church, is the greatest testimony and the greatest apologetic to this world. That word apologetic just means this. It's the greatest evidence that you have. Friends, I can go out and argue on the streets all the time about whether I know Jesus Christ. And there's some factual evidence. But at some point, God is going to use your love... For your people in your life, your family, your church, to say to each other that there's something different about this person. But notice, he says that this love would abound more and more. They're already loving each other. They already love God. They already love Christ. So what is Paul praying for? He's praying that they would have an enlarged heart to love even more. You know, sometimes I think as Christians, we think we got that love thing down. So easy. No, love. How can you not get love down? I mean, you just go up, you shake hands, you give a hug. That's all Paul's saying. Paul is praying that no matter where they are in their walk, there is always a need for a greater love towards God and a greater love towards each other. There is an overflow of abundance that needs to happen in our lives for loving each other. The verb here is in the present tense. It calls them to love. And love, even when they're wrong, to love. Even when people say things about them, to love. Even when they do things wrong, to love. Friends, we never hit the point where we have maxed out our love for God and our love for each other. Amen? That's why he says, still, more and more. It's like a dramatic emphasis. Paul takes the extra strides to say, have richer and richer love. Always increasing, ever abounding. You know, we should pray each day, God, give me a greater love for you and give me a greater love for others. God, give me a deeper, purer, fuller love that would come flowing out of my heart, not just because of the head knowledge that I have, but because of the God that I know. And so that is a love that he prays for. That's the priority of the love. But did you know, what is he praying for with this love? Look back at the scripture in verse 9. He's praying. That they would abound more and more with love. But there's a prerequisite to this love. Did you notice what that is? There's knowledge by the love. Knowledge. It's a real knowledge. It's in knowledge. It's the abounding love we want and need. That takes place when we are focused in. On the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the God who gave us the gospel. That word knowledge. Or some of you may have the phrase. Real knowledge in your Bibles. Uh, Some of you may have that. It's a two words. It's a compound word. It's the Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. And it's also the word epi, which means out of or, or coming out of. It's epigenosis. He's praying that their love for each other would come out of the knowledge of what God has done for them in Jesus Christ. How do you love someone in this congregation who has wronged you? How do you love your spouse when your spouse makes fun of you or, or says something wrong and you don't get it? Or how do you love... Your, your child, when they're wayward, it comes out of knowledge of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Throughout the Bible, it's a personal knowledge of God that springs forth in the love that Paul's praying for. But, this knowledge comes when only someone is connected to Jesus Christ. You know, we often hear on the, the news waves that, oh, well, everyone is a child of God. Have you heard that before? Maybe someone's told you, well, I'm a child of God, and, You're a child of God. Well, friends, James 2.19 clearly says that the demons believe in God, and they shudder. Just because you say you believe in God does not mean you have a true knowledge of saving faith in Christ. What Paul is praying here is a real knowledge. To really love like God loves, you have to really know God. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But the knowledge here he's praying for is like a husband would know his wife in an intimate and personal way. You cannot truly love in this world, no matter what the bumper stickers say, no matter what the TV says, unless you know God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Friends, that is a deep, intimate knowledge of God and His will. And when we are short in our supply of love for others, even if we're a Christian, it means we're probably short in supply in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you remember that 80s movie, I grew up in the 80s. Some of you all remember that robot Johnny Five If you remember this, short circuit was his name, or something like that. Short circuit means something's wrong. And when you are not loving others as you are, you're like that robot short circuit, man. You just start spouting off things, you don't even know what you're saying. Because real love requires real knowledge. And the knowledge that Paul's praying for them is the knowledge of God and his word in the gospel of Christ. Let me say it to you this way. We need to be real with each other about our sin So that we can be real with each other about our Savior. We'd be real with each other about our sin so we can be real with each other about our Savior. That's why he prays not only for knowledge, but did you catch that other word? He says he prays for discernment. Not just any discernment, but all discernment. What is he saying? He means the perception to understand what people are going through. Isn't it hard sometimes when you know someone's going through a hard time how to love them? ...how to show that love for them. Maybe you know someone who's lost a family member... ...and you can say, I'm sorry, my condolences, I'm praying for you. But there's that awkward thing in my mind at least... of what do I say next? How do I love this person even though I don't know? But this word perception is like an x-ray vision... ...into the needs of someone else. Paul is praying not only that they love each other more and more... ...with all knowledge, but he's praying that they have it with all discernment. In every situation with all types of people. That their spiritual eyes would be open to see the need. You know, it's kinda like parenting. Uh, We're learning this with our children. If you're a parent in here, you know that parenting is not one size fits all, is it? If you figured out a one size fits all parenting thing, you better go on Shark Tank and get your investment and start selling some goods because that is the trick that gets you going the right way. Parenting's not one size fits all. If you're a teacher, you know that teaching is not one size fits all. Wouldn't it be nice to press the easy button if you're a teacher or a parent and they all do exactly what you ask in the time you ask, in the way you ask, in the the part that you ask? Amen? Wouldn't that be nice? But parenting is not that way. Parenting is putting a round peg through a square hole sometimes. You have to figure out ways to get it in there because each child is unique. Parenting requires discernment as a parent loves a child to know each child's needs in a special way. Some children respond to a strong word. If you say, hey, stop that, they stop and start crying because they're very sensitive. Others, you have to wring them by the neck and bring them in and sit them down straight in front of you. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) What is true of a parent to a child is true with each of us, and the one size fits all. We have said over and over the last few weeks that we come from different ages, different backgrounds, different socioeconomic classes, big houses, small houses, apartments. Whatever you have. But what it requires to be a gospel-centered church, to pray for loving discernment, is to know that you are not the same as someone else, but you have the same Christ. We should pray because some are up right now spiritually. Others are down. Some are in the mid; They're coming up, but others need to be broken of pride. What Paul is praying is simply that you would know the discerning voice between the two. But if you're not a Christian here today... Can I ask you a question? Is love an optional part of your religion? It's not for Christianity. Love is the the sole purpose of what we do. We love each other and our neighbors, and so we bring a blessing to one another. But we want to be followers of Christ because God himself loved us. I love 1 John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. Friends, we were enemies of the cross, but God reached down in his son Jesus Christ and loved us all the same you're not a christian here today what is your pattern of love i would challenge you that if you're not a christian here today your love is just superficial at best because real knowledge takes a real relationship with jesus christ do you know him church we need to remember that as we're out in the public that people often need to be most loved when they feel that they're not loved at all maybe you know someone in your workplace who it's hard to love a man They, they rub you the wrong way each week don't just say you're going to pray for them. Actually pray for them and follow up and say, Man, you know what? My family and I prayed for you last week. How's it going with that? Is there something I can do to serve your need? Is there a way I can show the love of Christ to you? You'll be surprised. People will never turn down prayer. You ever notice that? Go up to someone and say, Can I pray for you? Oh, absolutely. Pray for me right now. They don't care if it's in Buddha, it's in Christ, it's in Confucius, Zoroaster. You're praying for someone, they want you to pray for them. Christian here today, can I ask you, How's your evangelism going? Are you praying for discernment to know how God might use you to share the gospel? But we share the gospel because we love people and because the gospel shares that love with us through Christ. We don't share the gospel because we don't love people. People are not just another notch in the belt. Oh, hey, I just got another salvation. Look at me. I'm, I'm John Wayne in the Wild West. I just took out another one. Look at me. That's not salvation. That's not what we do. Our evangelism should be driven by the love that God gave us first in Christ. And through that, that we might love others that he, as He loves us. But if you're a Christian here today and you are thinking about joining our church, let me just say this very encouragingly to you. Joining a local church is an outward reflection of what God is doing on the inside as you partner with the church to the glory of God. But friends, at this church at Tower View, Let me encourage you again with this truth. The gospel is most best and strikingly displayed when we come together from all different parts that don't make sense. But you know what does make sense? That God gave us the gospel, and we should pray for that togetherness. A church where people don't feel they need to earn others' love is a church where people don't feel they need to wear masks. And friends, when we're real about our sin, we will be real about our Savior. Maybe there's someone in this church you need to get to know better and ask him. how can I pray for you? The men have been studying this at the men's retreat. How can I show you love? Where are you with that today? That was the longest of the points, I promise. But I want you to see that loving discernment. Will you pray for discernment to see that x-ray vision of, so to speak, spiritually, how God can use you in someone else's life this week? Let's go on to the second point. Paul prays secondly for integrity. Notice verse 10 again. He prays for integrity. He says, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. This is his practice of love. The reason they need all knowledge, the reason they need all discernment is to approve not just good things, not just better things, but friends, the most excellent things. The word approved here is choosing what is best. And specifically, Paul is praying that they would choose what is best to love one another you know someone in their your life, hopefully you just don't give a gift. Oh man, this is on sale. This makes sense. Hopefully when you give gifts, you're thinking about the person, right? Doesn't it mean more to you when someone gives you a gift that they know you, they've taken that time to make something or, or get to know you a little bit more? Because why? He's asking that they not only discern truth from falsehood, but truth from half truth. He's praying that they not only know how to find the very bad things that are out there, but he's praying that in their love they will know truth from half-truth. Isn't that how the devil works sometimes? Friends, if you don't believe the devil's true, we've got to have a talk afterwards. Satan is alive and well. I don't know if you know that or not. had a professor in college who said he was just a big symbol, like like a McDonald's sign. You know what? Pray for him. I won't say his name publicly. This is on the air, but pray for that professor. Friends, Satan is very real. And Satan will often come to you with just just a little bit of misunderstanding of the truth. And it looks so good, but when you bite into it, it's like those apples I used to do when I picked in high school. Man, they look good on the inside, but that worm just goes in your mouth and starts going all around. It's nasty. What Paul is praying here is they will best know how to love one another. Sometimes the prayer of an integrous person, an honest person, is encouragement. Sometimes it's the prayer to know how to complete a task. Maybe there's a real physical need. Sometimes they need to do it on their own, and, and you need to pray for them to trust God, to go with Him wherever that is. Sometimes we need to pray for people to be long-suffering and patient. Sometimes we need to pray for confrontation because there's sin in this church and there's sin in our lives, and sometimes it needs to be confronted lovingly but boldly. And we need to be able to sort that out. So there's that practice of love going on, but there's also the purity of love. He doesn't just say, oh, figure out how to love each other. But figure out how to love each other in this way. So to be pure and blameless. Pure and blameless. It is the result of a growing love towards each other. If we simply fake loving each other, we are no better than anyone else in this world. Friends, when it comes to loving Christ as Christ should be loved and loving each other, man, it takes prayer. as it is so easy to walk up to someone... Think you're loving them and then walk back And pat yourself on the back in the car Maybe not physically, but in your head you're thinking Man, I did okay right there, didn't I? I did that pretty well Be careful, that is not biblical love That's pride and welling up quickly That word pure and blameless Or pure and sincere Back in the first century they used to have pottery Of course, that's how they got everything And in the marketplace back then They used to have people who tried to fake items They tried to sell fake goods That doesn't happen today, does it? Not at all And what they would do, this word here means that the pottery was very fragile and it developed cracks very easily. And to seal those cracks, much like we would do today, they would put wax or some kind of uh, ointment on there. And the only way you could tell the false pottery is going to break when you take it home and the good pottery was to hold it up to sunlight. And they would do that. They would go in the marketplaces, they would hold it up to sunlight, and if they saw cracks through it, they wouldn't buy it or hopefully they wouldn't buy it. And that's the word that Paul is using here to describe how our love should be. It's sincere. There's no cracks. There's no cover-up. There's integrity. There's wholeness. There, this is what the word sincere means. It means without wax and without cracks. Is that the love we have for one another? That type of love is this. You're not one person on Sunday and another person on Sunday afternoon after you go home. You're not one person here on Sunday night at prayer meeting and another on tuesday morning with the guys before work there is no crack there's no division there's no separation to be sincerely in love tower view with god and his people means you're growing in a love for god and a love for each other well let me say it this way it is the mark of a christian hypocrite to be a christian all over but at home it's the mark of a hypocrite to be a christian all over but at home that's so hard to do, isn't it? Because we all have our faults. You know, you think the pastor's perfect, right? I know you think that every Sunday, and I appreciate that. But honestly, come to my house for five hours and watch me. I get frustrated. My, my wife's shaking her head back there politely. I get frustrated. There are times in the middle of the night where I get frustrated. My daughter has woken up. She's 10 months. Why can't she sleep through the night? We just fed her three hours ago. Why is she? Having... Come on. You all have this happen to you, too. Don't look at me like I'm the only one here you have this happen to you as well. But friends, let's pray that our love not only is what happens here with the smiley faces and the hugs and the welcome center, but that is taken out to every place that we go, especially our homes. But he also prays to them to be blameless. Blameless. It's a positive word with a negative thing attached to it. The positive word means to stumble. Can you believe that? The positive word in the Greek means to stumble, like you're tripping over something. And the negative word is not. Not. It's almost like this. If you go to a museum, you're going there to think, hopefully, right, or take a nap. But if you go to amusement park, you're not going to think, hopefully not. You're going to have fun, right? There's a difference between a museum and amusement. The ah there is negative. Basically, what Paul's praying is that they live their lives without stumbling. It's not falling into selfish and sinful conduct, but it's trusting that God will work in every relationship that you have. Every relationship. Why? You remember back. Look back at verse five, or I'm sorry, verse six. Quickly. Do you remember last week we talked about that phrase, the day of Jesus Christ? Why is he praying that they would have integrity in their Christian lives? Because that same phrase is back in verse ten, folks. Look at verse ten. Why are he, is he praying they know what's excellent, pure, blameless? Because the day of Jesus Christ is coming. If you believe that, say Amen. Amen. Friends, I think it's almost certainly that the case that we think about Christ's return very lightly. I think that in my own life. I often ask the question, Darren, are you living today like Christ is coming back tomorrow? Am I living in this moment as though God was watching everything in my life? But they are moving forward because God is working in their midst. You know, there's a story about a pastor in London, and I think this is one of those made-up pastor stories that proves a point, but just go with it. But after his Sunday message in London in the 1950s, the pastor of a church there got on the subway to go back to his study downtown. The pastor got in the uh, the subway or however it works, and he paid his fare. And back then, you paid the driver, I, I guess. But he gave the driver gave him too much change. You've had that happen before, right? Where someone's giving you too much change and those wheels start spinning. Is This a payday, or is this am I going to be honest here? What's going to happen? And you know, that wonderful rationalization comes in. Well, God knew I needed some extra money, so woo, didn't God just provide in that moment? Woo, that's right. And you know what happens. This man gets on, and money's tight for him. He's a pastor of a small church in England in the 50s after World War II. Gets on the subway, and he is just batting in the back of his head. Well, God provided, but I'm the pastor. What do I do? Which choice do I make? Finally, he couldn't live with himself, and he walked up to the driver, who was actually one of his church members, and said, here, you gave me too much change. You made a mistake. And the man looked at him, the driver, and said, no, it was no mistake. You see, Pastor, I was at your service last night when you talked about honesty and integrity, and I thought I'd put you to the test to see if what you really believe is real. Hmm. Never know when God's going to surprise you like that, do you? You know... We may not always be full of integrity, but thankfully God is. And friends, the most integrous, honest thing that God did was something we didn't deserve. The most awesome creatures in heaven are still like us, but God himself and the creatures in heaven, uh, we all bow down to this fact. God doesn't bow down, but we bow down to him. That God is holy, unique, and separate. And yet when we were dishonest, when we shouldn't have gotten any extra change, so to speak, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin under the law, to die in our place. That is the integrity that God has. God didn't say, man, I'm going to send my son, maybe if you do this right. I'm going to send my son if you walk this way. Ooh, man, we, read the Old Testament. We're reading through Chronicles right now, and the same phrase over and over, because they did not obey the Lord. But in the cross of Jesus Christ, we see a tremendous, unique revelation, the fullness of God's character. And God has been honest with us till the very end. And if you're not a Christian here today, I challenge you because someday the honesty of God's going to stare you straight in the face. You, all your deeds will be thrown up on a, the big DVD player, if that's what it is, or whatever God does, and you will stand before Him, and everything you've done, thought, word, deed, action, intent, prayer will be judged by a holy, active God. What a scary thing. But the grace of Christ is, is if you repent of your sins and believe in Him, you can have eternal life. You know, we must not only be honest about the cost of that repentance. It will cost you your life, but there is an expiration date coming. Friends, there's a time of time coming when there will be no more chance to repent. Do you know Christ this morning? Have you come to know Him? And again, if you're a Christian here today, the most integrous prayer, the most honest prayer you can pray, if you're not a member of this church... Is that your love for God is confirmed by your membership in this church? Prince church membership isn't just a box you check, it's a lifestyle that you live and a thing that you pour into. You know what I, I, I think about all the time is that we are ex-enemies of God. Everyone in here is a rebel. We were on death row, we were in the penitentiary, we got less than one hour of sunlight a day. But God, in his grace, called us out in his sovereignty and said, I want you because he who loved us, loved us first, even when we didn't love him back. Friends, that is the church that reflects God's character is the ones that know that we were stamped ex enemy of God, rebel enemy. But God has taken that and erased it and put the righteousness of his son in our place. Amen. What a great God he is. How does that transform us? transforms us to know that there is no peace except in Christ. We may disagree on some finer points of what the Bible says, but as a whole, if we believe that Christ has died, risen, and born, and come back, coming back again, friends, that's a great place to start. Would you pray that as we study together, we pray together, that we would have integrity to stand up and say, Lord, help us as a church that on that day we can stand together and say, we did it together because your son did it for us. Let me end here. Last point. Fruitfulness. He prays for loving discernment. He prays for integrity. But in verse 11, Paul prays for fruitfulness. Verse 11. He says, be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and the praise of God. The big picture here is that fruit of the Spirit, the love that is there. The root of one's saving faith is the fruit in their lives. You know what also it does? The fruit of the gospel is this. The fruit of the gospel is a tender heart and thick skin. If you know Christ, you're going to have a tender heart to love other people, but you're also going to have thick skin. Because, you know, this is, I read through our documents. Sometimes it's fun to read through the church documents. Uh, Some of you think that's good reading material for bedtime, so you can fall asleep quickly. But in our church, we actually have a covenant in there where it talks about you won't let the small stuff get to you. Because you know what a gospel-centered church does? Something may happen where I don't like what you did. I may even be offended by what you did. But if it's a small thing and the other person doesn't know about it, you know what the gospel and what Paul's praying for here? He's saying, look, love that other person with the love Christ gave you, a tender heart, and have thick skin. There are going to be things that even I do from the pulpit. You're going to go home and tie it. Why did he say that? Why did he wear that goofy tie with the, the robins and the eggs on it? Man, I don't like robins. He's a Cardinals fan. I thought he was a Royals fan. You know, I'm going to do things that are going to offend you. You're going to do things that are going to offend me. But what the gospel teaches us is that we are so loved that God gave his son for us. And even though we did so much infinitely worse to God, that even the smallest things in our life, God still forgives. How much more should we have that love towards one another? He prays that they would be filled. It looks back to the past with results in the present. From the moment you became connected to the root, Jesus Christ, there is a filling in your life by the Holy Spirit with the fruit of righteousness. And what he's praying is they'd be filled with the Spirit. Friends, we are filled eternally one time when we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. But we continually must go back to God to seek His fellowship, to walk with Him. There are days when you're walking with God and it feels so good, there are other days you feel like you're a million miles away. What Paul is praying is that they would have fruit unto that relationship with God. Fruit unto that relationship with God. And how are we connected to God? The same way we're connected any other way. Look back at your Bible. Through Jesus Christ. Jesus said on the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except by me. Through Jesus Christ. It's through his grace. It's through his power. It's through his divine establishment. Only Jesus Christ can produce fruit in us. I don't know about you, I've never been able to go up to a fruit tree and squeeze it long enough and say, give me an apple. Now, I might have apples on it, but if it's a new one, I can't shake that thing enough to make an apple. It takes time. It's beyond me. Yes, it has to be watered and cared for. But friends, we have to remember that every blessing of grace, every time we grow, every time a memory verse pops in our head, every time we get to fellowship with God's people, that is a supernatural work of God through His Holy Spirit. And what does this mean? It means this. It means that selfish fear and greed destroy love. If we are not praying to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit, we're missing that gospel-driven love, that radical love, because that is the fruit of future grace. When we remember that someday Christ is returning again, and someday as we look at this verse, it goes back through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Do you want to live your life so much that when you throw, or however that works someday, that when you throw all your, your good deeds before God, that he will look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, church, at Tower View Baptist Church. You may have gone through ups and downs, but my, my eyes saw that you were there for me. Friends, that's what we want to pray for this church, that we would stand before God blameless because of Christ. Yes, but more than that, because our joy was found in the gospel and everything we did went back to that. You know, I said at the very first that the church is flooded with the latest strategies, and th- to grow the church and reach the world. The church is filled with that. The church is filled with the latest books everywhere. If we want to seriously change this culture in Maplewood, in Gracemore, and even farther south in Randolph, friends, it takes prayer. It takes the Word. It takes holiness. And those aren't things we can just conjure up at a one-hour meeting. Those are things that you have to do at home, that I have to do at home, we must pray that that would happen. Many of you are going to walk out of here today and you're going to say, man, Darren's telling me I should pray for an hour a day. Yeah, that's a good thing, but some of you are going to walk out of here guilty because you say my prayer life isn't what Paul prayed. I don't want you to walk away feeling guilty today. I want you to walk away feeling challenged to know that it takes steps. You don't go out and run a half marathon today and ho- because you haven't run in 20 years and hope that you make it to the finish. You may be finished at the hospital if that's the case. Friends, it takes small steps. I encourage you, if you have been off the track spiritually, that you take 5, 10, 15 minutes each day. You know what? You have all these apps on your phone. Some of you young people or some of you older people even have phones that are better than my phone, so I better be careful with that. But you have to know... There are apps. You can write it on your mirror. You can call someone in this church and say, Hey, will you remind me to pray? Maybe you're at work on a 15-minute union break. Take that 10 minutes, eat your food, and take five minutes to pray to God. Spend time with the Lord. Because, friends, it is not by the latest church growth strategies coming out of Willow Creek in Chicago or or Saddleback in, 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 in California. Bless their ministries. May God use them faithfully. But our growth as a church comes through what God is doing in the individual lives of us and as a church together. Does that make sense? Now I'm not saying I'm opposed to strategies and growth and we'll implement some of those things as time goes on but it starts with the word, with prayer, and with holiness. And if you're a Christian here today, maybe you've walked that out, maybe you've prayed that prayer, maybe you've turned your life over to Christ. Let me say this. If you have no fruit in your life to show spiritually over years, you may have no faith in Jesus Christ. You are saved by faith, not by fruit. You will never be saved by a fruitless faith. And church, when the gospel is expounded week after week in busy hands and in the, in the Wednesday of one and everything that we do, this church is going to look unique. Now we look unique anyway, Amen. Your pastor looks the most unique out of all of you. But the church is not a museum for pristine saints. The church as we know it is a hospital ward for broken sinners. And I pray as we go forward in this church that we deliberately let ourselves be transparent and accountable to one another. Because why? We are family together. Amen? Friends, that's what the gospel does. Let's bow our heads this this morning and pray. Went a little longer than I had planned. Thank you for your grace in that. But if you are here today and you know not Jesus Christ, please know we're not here to twist your arm. We're not here to make you uh, have a, say a special, magical, incantational prayer that will be with you one minute and gone the next. We are here to tell you that the gospel truth is this, is that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. But friend, if you're here today and you know not Christ, the John 3.36 says, the wrath of God abides on you. Yes, God is love. Yes, God is mercy, but there's a price to be paid for our sin, and and thankfully, Christ fully, completely satisfied as a propitiation, the sponge that sucked up all the justice for us. You know not Christ. will be in the back. Be there for that. But let's pray as we go before God and ask him today.